Welcome to Exit Pole Left. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to Exit Pole Left. We are on episode three. Three. Yeah. Yeah. I'm your host, Jenny Floyd. And I'm your co-host, Crystal Figueroa. And today, we're going to be covering two pretty big topics. Uh, The first is going to be Joe Biden poll numbers, and the second is Mm -hmm. going to be U.S. relations with China. Uh, So let's get started with these poll numbers, which are uh, not surprising, kind of surprising. Mm. I mean, yes and no. First, let's back up a little bit and tell our viewers why we kind of look different today and we're not sitting next to each other. So we are on Zoom today, just to be safe. (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) yeah. we there's been some you know coronavirus is crazy and restaurants are still opening and so we are on the safe side taking precautions because although we both are very much germaphobes and we both very much take put masks on use gloves and that sort of thing you know there is an inherited risk and my family some of my family members are part of the vulnerable population so we made this decision until further notice, and hopefully our government will, you know, take this into account and be a little bit smarter, which brings us to the poll numbers. Yeah, poll numbers. <laughs> so Joe Biden right now, on a national average, is leading by just over nine points. Um, so we are 99 days away from the general election, which is very exciting. I'm super pumped. Um, But to see him coming in with a 10-point lead is hopeful. You know, it it kind of hope. It also, I mix worry. Yeah, me too, because I feel like we were so, I mean, whenever, you know, the past election came around um, in 2016 against Hillary Clinton, I honestly looked at Trump like, ah, he's just whatever, you know, he's just, oh, it's just a joke. Oh, you know, he's never going to win. And I saw Hillary leading in the polls and I was like, more than like, I mean, I didn't really like her. And I was like, more than likely she's going to win anyway, you know, but that goes to show that we can never be so sure. And I think this has definitely put into perspective that sense of our democracy that, you know, just because it has happened over and over again, right? Like a lot of people are like, oh, whatever, he's probably going to win. Or in 2018, they're like, Barack Obama is going to win. And people just sat back and kind of just expected it to happen. Yeah. So um, it really put into test. Uh, I mean, of course, there were some issues going on with the elections, but I'm not talking about that right now. I'm talking about the fact how we were so confident that Hillary was going to win. And now I hear a lot of people saying, well, if you're confident that Joe Biden's going to win, we already lost against Trump. Yeah, because it leads to a sense of apathy, right? Like, mm-hmm. there's not the same sense of urgency, or at least I, I hope there's a sense of urgency. I hope that the vast majority of voters, and it's interesting to look at these numbers because he's also leading among independents. Yeah. Which yeah, which is crazy for me. Cause like in the in the beginning, you know, independents are the ones that are typically like, mm, I might or might not vote this election, you know, and I feel like 
a lot of independents are coming out because they're tired of it. They're, they're sick of it. And yeah. not only are they coming out, but they're co coming out full force, you know, and um, it's going to be interesting. It's going to be interesting where they land on the spectrum. Yeah. We're never given only two choices. <laughs> yeah, I know. And it's going to be interesting to see what, because this election is going to be an absolute mess. So mm -hmm. it's going to be interesting to see how those poll numbers are going to translate, not just because Joe Biden leading in the polls may lead to a sense of voter apathy. There's not that sense of urgency, but also how much more difficult is it going to be to cast your vote? You know, I've been seeing stuff about how the post office has been telling people to give 14 days for their ballot to get to its destination. So then <sighs> election day isn't technically November 3rd. You know, right. it's in October. Right. And, it's and crazy. I think I was looking at some numbers here a couple of days ago, and I think there was, I can't find it now, but I think it was like only 9,000 of registered Republicans have voted by mail in comparison of like 40,000 Democrats have voted by mail. And that's why and the Republicans I, have tried so hard to stop it. Yeah, yeah. And that's what, and like the question among my peers or among my colleagues um, at my work were like, is there something the Republican Party knows that we don't know? You know, and I was like, well, either one of the two things, either they're planning on stealing our votes from mail, or they're scared that the Democrats are going to steal their votes and therefore they're not voting by mail, you know? So, of course, we're like, hopefully it's the latter, but it's kind of, the, the numbers are pretty, and it's just here in North Carolina. These numbers that they pulled up was here in North Carolina, and they're pretty out, they're pretty wild. Like, it's in the tens of thousands of a difference. Oh, uh, yeah. And I think that's kind of across the board. And I think that that's why we've seen this consorted effort, or concerted effort, rather, mm -hmm. from the Republican Party, especially mm -hmm. the president himself, who votes by mail to come out and right? be like voting by mail just leads to fraud. And it's like, well, does yep. it, or are you just afraid of it? Mm -hmm. um, I think he's just afraid of the masses actually voting against him because let's be honest, like our president started off this campaign, his campaign as a joke, but he got a taste of the power that really came with it, which is what a lot of people were scared of that was going to happen. You know, they were scared that he was going to get a taste of this power and the actual power that he has as being president. And I'm sorry to say, but I'm really scared that he's not going to want to let it go. Yeah. I mean, thankfully, like we talked about last episode, the nature of bureaucracy is to keep itself going. So I think that mm. there's enough there's there's enough of a mechanism behind him. And when I mean mm -hmm. behind him, I don't mean in support. I mean structurally within the government mm -hmm. that if he were to really kind of attempt to thwart an, an election and stay in power, mm -hmm. that would be dealt with rather swiftly. Um, and I don't think that the military as a industrial complex or as an institution would really give him the time of day as far as like a military insurrection or him, you know, taking his control of the military to stay in power or something like that. But mm. I mean, for us to be 
in 2020 in the United States of America, having this conversation is crazy opening to say the least. Yeah. Yeah. I found the numbers. So here, um, it says 2016 regular Republicans, um, that voted that requested an absentee ballot by mail. Um, in 2016, it was 6,736. And in 2020, these Republicans are 9,229. In 2016, only 6,868 Democrats requested an absentee ballot. In 2020, 46,856 requested an absentee ballot. Yeah. Listen to this. In 2016, registered unaffiliated voters requested only 4,546 requested an absentee ballot. In 2020, unaffiliated voters requested 30,912 absentee ballots. And that's just in North Carolina. We can hope that's good news. (laughs) seeing, Seeing how Biden is leading among independents, he's, you know, obviously leading among Democratic voters. Um, right. And yeah, and just looking back at the polling, like Trump hasn't led in a poll since mid-February. And that was like a single Emerson poll. And then COVID hit. And Exactly, exactly. And so I think that goes hand in hand, you know, like, regardless whether the Trump or the, the, the diehard Trump supporters want to see it. I mean, COVID has mattered and it's mattered for a lot of people. And then you tag on a race relations, you know, you tag on the, I mean, the country's about to upend itself, you know, due to COVID, due to our race relations. I mean, we are in constant battle at the, at, in the streets, you know, here in Durham, there are, there in Raleigh, I have colleagues that are in Raleigh and they're constantly out on the streets, like outside the governor's mansion, you know, it's, it's crazy. It's yeah. Crazy. So you pre- create those two together and you have a perfect storm. And that's exactly what it is. I mean, within the polling, they, you know, ask follow-up questions like, how do you feel Trump is doing on this? Or how do you feel Biden would differ, differ on that? And the number two, the, the top two reasons for Biden leading the way that he is, is because of race relations and COVID-19. Those are the two main reasons, which goes against the traditional uh, outlook on Americans where the economy is the number one reason that they vote, right? They vote with their pocketbook. We've heard that our entire lives. But now that's not, it's a priority, sure, Mm -hmm. um, because we have been so hit economically because of COVID. You know, right. so it's fu- kind of falling under this umbrella of coronavirus and saying that we disapprove of Donald Trump's handling of the coronavirus and we feel that Joe Biden would be uh, better at handling it going forward. And the same with race relations. But is that any surprise to anybody that Trump polls poorly when it comes to race relations? He's as divisive as you can get. Yep. I mean, he started his campaign saying that Mexicans are rapists and murderers. And his base stood behind him. him. 
He started his campaign telling to knock them out, will you, if they like are against, you know, issues that you might find, you know. Um, they used his campaign at rallies that would mistreat black Americans. So is it a surprise? Absolutely not. But do I, am I happy that finally there are some people that voted for Trump that are saying never again? 100%. However, um, this begs the question, why didn't you see it first? Why didn't you see it before it got this bad? You know, why didn't you see his, his sexism, his racist comments before it got this bad? Why was, what, what makes it different? That's something that I would love to ask someone that was, you know, they, they're calling them a reformed Trump supporter. Um, well. But I would, <laughs> true. But I would, you're right. But I would love to ask them, you know, why, what's different now? Like, why was it okay for Trump to get up on a stand in 2020, um, or is it, what was it? it seems so long ago 2016 and speak these racist remarks and everyone clapped for him like yay and now people are so appalled like oh my god i cannot believe this president would say such things yeah i cannot believe he didn't believe in the coronavirus i cannot believe he's calling it the wuhan virus or the chinese virus or whatever what's the difference now you know, is it yeah, because I mean, as an individual, you, you actually feel it and you didn't feel it then? Like, I don't what think is it's it now? That. I think it's, I think, and we see this in a lot of different aspects in life, right? A lot mm -hmm. of people can feel a way or an individual can feel a certain way and they don't feel comfortable speaking out because nobody else is speaking out, right? So, and especially mm -hmm. when it comes to Donald Trump, because if anybody speaks out against him, he will target them and try and destroy them. You know, look at Mitt Romney, mm -hmm. you know? And mm. so, and that's where I think groups like the Lincoln Project and mm. Republican voters against Trump have now given these the, the 2016 Trump voters who no longer agree with him, both elected officials and citizens, because of, of things like the Lincoln Project and Republican voters against Trump, they now have a fan foundation to kind of stand on where they're not alone in rejecting the president. That's just my personal opinion. And you know what? Like, I hope that's not the case. And I, and, and I hope that I mean, I know that that's how, you know, heuristics and everything like that says that that's the case. You know what I mean? Like if you more than likely, if someone that you trust is going to vote a certain way, you will vote that way too, especially if you're not well-educated or well-versed in that particular race or in that particular, you know, scenario. But it really sucks because like you would think that in the United States of America, you would have a little bit more, I don't know, aren't we the ones that say, you know, grab yourself by your bootstraps type of thing? You know, I, you would think that you have a lot of back, better backbone to be like, you know what, this isn't right, and I'm going to stand up for it. Yeah, but, you would think, you would think, again. but in all reality, 
we're kind of like a big high school where we have political cliques. <laughs> you know what I mean? And like, God yeah, forbid yeah. you go against your clique because then you're going to be ostracized and exiled. Oh, 100%. Yeah. You yeah. know, 100%. And I see that even just here locally with the local congressional race going on in District 11. You know, like I see it if, God forbid, if one of the two candidates step away from their, you know, their parties or what their parties should be. Oh my God. It's like, no, we cannot, we cannot have that. Yeah. You know? And it's just like, it's just like, I think it's more evident in the supporters, right? Because I've seen on Mo Davis's campaign, like I'm a Republican and I guess I'm voting for Mo Davis this election cycle. Um, and then you go on and, and these same Republicans are like, I wish he was a Republican. Like he's from, from the wrong party and this and that. And you go to the other side and you see the same thing happening on Madison Cawthorn's page. And it's crazy, right? It's crazy how I honestly think there's going to be a political party shift coming very, very soon. I think that there's going to end up being a third party. Because if there's not a shift, then yes, 100%. Yeah, because we're seeing a, and I think it's going to happen on the left, because we're seeing mm-hmm. a, a growing divide between your kind of more traditional liberal Democrats and your progressives, your Berniecrats. Mm-hmm. And it, that is going to, and it may be a good thing. Because if, yep. if you have progressives that are technically under the umbrella of the Democratic Party, but don't feel welcomed within the Democratic Party, their policy platforms are rejected within the Democratic Party, mm-hmm. then where else are they to go? You're, mm-hmm. you're only going to be able to guilt people into voting so much. And mm-hmm. I, think, uh, I think after Joe Biden you're going to see a lot of progressive Democrats that have hit their guilt threshold. I mean, we're sucking it up to vote for Biden. Uh, Exactly. And I like it's, yeah, yeah, yeah. 2016 was rough. 2020 (laughs) is even rougher. (laughs) I think you're right. I think we're going to see a, a shift in not only partisan politics and the party structures, but the power dynamic. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I think it's going to definitely, and, and I think this is a good thing. I think the, the power is coming back to the people. Um, for a long time, the United States was, I, I even remember when I was little, you know, my dad, I was always interested in politics and my dad always wanted to know more. And even when I was in high school, I remember discussing politics and it was kind of like an either or situation. There was never no, no way for you to make your own opinion or form your own opinion on what was going on. It was either you wanted them, you wanted them to be deported or not. And if you didn't, then you must fucking be a, like an immigrant hugger or whatever. Yeah, you you know what I mean? Yeah, exactly. It was either or it was never like, you can make your own opinion. And I think that now we have definitely seen that we have definitely seen power to the people and, um, it, and options. Hey, you know what? You don't like for-profit healthcare and you don't like Obamacare. Screw it. 
it's healthcare for all, you know, yeah. and that's where we stand, you know, and, and you don't like open borders, but you don't want people get to get deported. All right, let's do a comprehensive, you know, like immigration reform. reform. Immigration reform. Yeah. So it, we are definitely seeing a major shift away from the politicians back to the people. Yeah. Because the people finally have a say. The people finally have a voice and it's a it's about damn time. Yeah. And we can thank that I think to the internet. Mhm. Right? It's uh, it's allowed um the unity of people across the nation, the unity of people across the world, like we are able to make connections and build power through digital means that is unheard of, you know, mm -hmm. and Obama really harnessed this in his 2012 campaign um, right. through his use of social media. And then you had things like Occupy Wall Street, which was like, this massive shift and through social media, people were like, dude, do you see Zuccotti Park? Like, do you see what's yeah. happening? Like, yeah. I remember I was living in West Virginia at the time and I wanted so desperately to drive up and be in Zuccotti Park and like be part of Occupy because that's where my values were and that's what I believed in and, um, that was all because of social media. It, without social mm -hmm. media, I would have never even heard of Occupy Wall Street. Right, right. So many movements have gone unheard of because of it, you know, um, because due to the lack of, of social media in the past. And now it just, everything has become so readily accessible. I mean, take into consideration the George Floyd Black Lives Matter protests. And I think, you know, we're definitely going to see the, the, I don't want to say trickle down effect, but the effect more than anything of the internet, of social media, if Joe Biden wins after his term, right? After his term is up, after the four years are up, we're going to see like, is the United States actually ready? And like you said, we will no longer be guilted into voting for a person that we just have to vote because it's the worst of two evils. The lesser of two evils. Yeah. Right. Right. Yeah. Are we actually going to be done with that, with that type of mindset? Because I think that that's the reason why a lot of people are pushing for Joe Biden. It's because they don't want Trump. Right. We've heard it time and time and again, an issue that I, it's something that I have such a bad issue with is vote blue, no matter who. Right. Don't, and don't. it's, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> right. It's, so we've, we've heard it time and time again this year, especially because the rhetoric behind it is anyone but Trump, right? So I'm really curious to see if Joe Biden gets elected four years later, who's going to run against him, if anyone's going to run against him. It would be really surprising to see if an incumbent would have a primary. And there's a good possibility of it, you know, and you and I have had discussions in the past, not only between ourselves, but between, you know, party presidents and um, other elected officials regarding vote blue, no matter who. And mm -hmm. it, the, these same people will come out and say, well, you know, young people 
vote based on their value, not their party. And it's like, okay, Mm -hmm. but we're still going to continue to push this vote blue, no matter who narrative, which it at its base level says, we don't care what your policy stances are. The only thing we care about is the letter next to your name. Mm -hmm. That's Mm -hmm. it. That's what vote blue, no matter who is in a nutshell. We don't care what your policy is. As long as you're a Democrat, we're going to vote for you. And that goes in the face of where voters are headed because voters are basing their vote more on value, more on policy than I think ever before. And so that's where that diversion is because you have an institution, the Democratic Party, who is pushing this vote blue no matter who narrative. And then on the flip side, you have young voters, which are going to be their largest voting block, saying, we look at your policy. You're not for Medicare for all. You're not for free public college. You're not for advancing this nation so we catch up with other developed nations. Why should we vote for you? I could give two shits what letter is next to your name. Yep. And that's what, that's, that's what I'm saying. You know, like, let's keep in mind, like my, my, my topic of expertise is immigration, right? So this, this narrative of vote blue, no matter who is very dangerous because I'll tell you what, the, the president that locked in 11 million immigrants into the United States with IRA IRA was Bill Clinton. He was a Democrat. The president up until Trump with the largest amount of deportations was President Obama. He and was I think Obama Democrat. still beats Trump as far as deportation yeah. numbers. So again, why is this why is this so dangerous? Because Democrats really at the, to this point to the immigrant community haven't done anything for them. I mean, yes, President Obama did pass a massive bill, which was DACA and prevented it, prevented a lot of people from getting deported. But I don't think people realize that although he prevented it, it's not permanent. And so that's why the decision made from the Supreme Court a couple weeks ago that if that effectively said, you know, that guy is here to stay for now because the president doesn't have any right, at least the reasons that he put up in, against the, against DACA wasn't, weren't the right reasons to like yeah. stop that guy. Yeah. So that guy for now is staying. Right. But like, let's say, God forbid, but let's say he gets reelected. He could bring up suit again. And what happens if that guy gets eliminated? All of these people are now in immigration database that can be massively deported. Yeah. And these are people that know the country that they came from. Right. And at an instant. Right. Why? Because they they trusted the government and they put it because the cons the pros are more than the cons at that specific moment, right? You have a legal, legal, um, you have, you have legality to be in the United States, right? You have a driver's license, you have a worker's permit. So the pros outweigh the cons, but if this program were to go away, they're out in the open. 
and they're out in the open and they could be deported at any time. So what I'm trying to get at is that in reality, what has the dim, like the Republican party has not done absolutely anything for us. Right. But what has the democratic party done then? Well, and the fact that the, and I think that's the question much more. Right. And I think that's the question we're asking ourselves as me, as a young Latina millennial, that's what we're asking ourselves. You had so many opportunities in the past to do so much more. Why didn't you? Yeah. You know, we're finally coming back and the, the check is in our hands and we're like, listen, like this is, this is the bill. Like what the hell are you going to do with it? You know what I mean? Like you've had all this time and power. What the hell are you going to do with it? Not and I don't think, I know. And I think that's where the, that's where the, these like liberal Democrats, these old liberal Democrats don't understand where the disconnect is. Yeah. Right. Because we're coming in, cashing our checks, asking these questions and they have no answers for us. No, they, they want to avoid the question. You know what I right. mean? These aren't right. even topics yeah. that they actually want to discuss. Which, right? What? No, sorry. Like, no. you're asking for us to give you power. Mm-hmm. Explain yourself. Right. Like, and, and exactly. if you can't come up with an explanation, then what are you going to do to fix it? What steps are going to be taken? What policy is going to be introduced? How are you going to pressure the candidates? not only the presidential candidates, the Senate Senate candidates, the House of Representative candidates, the state candidates, like how Mm -hmm. are you gonna use your leverage as an institution to pressure these candidates into doing the right thing? And it's amazing to me how afraid parties are. And when I say parties, I mean like local county parties Um, and even the state party, like, how afraid they are to honestly speak their mind about what their constituents want. You know, it's like, well, how do you expect to progress? How do you expect to become better if you don't call out the flaws that exist within your party and your candidates? Yep. Yep. And I think that's where, again, I think that's what the older generation of Democrats don't understand. You know, we have been at multiple tables with different democratic leaders in our local area right and they look at us like bernie kratz and they're like oh no like ew like no like they can never (laughs) yeah Yeah. and they look at us right and 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 they they it's kind of like stay away like or they laugh and and it's like do you understand how many of the how how many of us there are yeah yeah and And exactly yeah, and I think that's what they don't. They, I, I think they, you know, I've tried and we've tried. Oh, Lord knows we've tried to talk to them and we've tried to like reason with them and we've tried to say if you are on a value, if you if you want to get young people, then you're going to value not only their opinions but their values, and they don't care about a candidate. They care about the values of the candidate. They don't care if the candidate, you know, um, 
has a mistress, they care that the candidate is preaching, you know, preaching Christianity and then has a mistress on the side. That's what they care about. You know what I mean? Like, that's the kind of issues that we have that we have issues with. And I don't, they don't, I don't, I don't know how else to explain it. Like, I really don't know how else to explain that fact. Well, I, th- and I think it comes down to this traditional notion that only certain people belong in certain power spheres. Right. Right. So you look at, at somebody like AOC who a lot of people can disagree with, but she has kind of... Stands up for her values. Well, and she's done her bit to kind of burst that bubble of, well, these people belong here because they are white people who have generational wealth, who have powerful families in the region or state that they were born and raised in, And that, I think, is the main notion that's shifting. And as it should, because we need more everyday people in the houses where our laws are created. And so I think that's one of the reasons that the younger voting demographic kind of butts heads with the older, more traditional liberal Democrats in that we, we don't look at somebody's economic standing or their family history or tradition and say, well, we're going to automatically assume that they deserve to be at this uh, level of power. It's like, mm-hmm. no, you're asking us to invest in you, not only mm-hmm. on money through donations, time through phone banking and canvassing, but you want the most important thing that we have as an American, and that's the vote. So if you want mm-hmm. us to invest our vote in you, what, what are we getting in return besides four or eight more years of the same policies that have failed us over and over and over? Right, right. And I think, you know, that's like an especially good point because as, as young people, we don't care if you are, you know, if, if you're a multimillionaire, as a matter of fact, we're going to ask more questions if yeah. you're a millionaire. Sure, yeah. Sure. As a matter of fact. Yeah. <laughs> let me know what you've done with all that money. All right. I know you've been blessed, but let me know what you're doing with all that money. Why? Because I think what everyone believes is that Democrats say, or, or you know, the most more traditional Democrats think, that we want less taxes and that is completely out of out of the fact we don't mind paying a little bit more taxes if that means health care for all yeah if we're gonna you know? again well, what are we getting for what lord, we're investing in exactly lord knows we already get taxed more than anyone you know lord knows that as a as a woman that is in her late 20s that doesn't have a child yet, right? And that is married to a person that basically is self-employed. We pay so many taxes because we have to. Yeah. But what are we getting? What are we getting in exchange? Two hundred dollars a week if we if we like even apply for unemployment. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and that's it. Like you're 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 not getting 
an investment in education for your children. You're not getting an investment in social security for when you retire. You're not getting yep. um, forgiveness for your student loans, which are outrageous and putting a generation of people into debt. Uh, you're getting a, an increased military budget. Right. And you're getting tax breaks for corporations. That's what you're right. getting. You know, so for my hard earned tax dollars. And so to come back to the poll numbers, am I glad that Biden is beating Trump? Yeah. I am. I'm not going to lie. I would mm -hmm. love to see Donald Trump lose just because it would be a blow to his ego. And that would make right. me feel so good. Um, and mm -hmm. as petty as that sounds, but I, in all honesty, I, I think that he's a, a dangerous person to have in a position of leadership. Uh, mm -hmm. But the main thing is that, okay, we get Joe Biden into the White House, then what? We also have to flip the Senate. We also have to keep the majority in the House. And then we start pressuring him. That, that's the only and to what point, and to what point are we going to pressure him whenever we no longer have a pandemic, whenever, you know, older traditional Democrats are telling us to stop with the race wars because Lord knows that it's bad for Joe Biden's image. So I think that the, the, the because we saw this with the, with the sexual assault allegations, right? Like my belief and this is my personal belief, and I am sure that this is yours. If we want to, if we want to have or, or hold someone accountable, we have to hold ourselves accountable as well. So I don't want just to have an investigation on Donald Trump and his pedophilia, you know, ring. No, no, no. I, if, if there's allegations into Joe Biden about sexual, you know, sexual allegations, I want that. I want that to be investigated as well. But in the what? Like, what? Right? I mean, hold on. You want right? accountability across the board? That's crazy, right? And that's that's again the big disconnect between us young voters and traditional liberals, right? Because oh God, we want to make the the right seem so bad. We want to make them seem like they're devil incarnate and they might very well be with trump at the steering wheel but we don't want to hold ourselves accountable through the same measures and yes. i don't i'm not okay with that i'm I am not either. okay with that no. so no i don't care what people say if joe biden gets elected the race wars the race relations the race wars at the streets us going out to the streets demanding justice is not going to stop and why? Why? Because there is no legislation that has come out of it for it to stop yet. Yeah. And it's going to shift. It's going to shift. And I think we're seeing that shift right now where Black Lives Matter really fueled this engagement from right. normal, ordinary, everyday people that were not politically engaged. They weren't, they wouldn't have considered themselves to be activists. They weren't out in the street marching during Occupy. But we've seen BLM now act as a springboard. And I think especially what we're seeing in places like Portland and Seattle 
is BLM is now morphing into a protest against oppression in general. And then by mm-hmm. sending in federal troops as just another layer of oppression, you're just fueling the discord. You're fueling the, um, what's the word I'm looking for? The, dis- the distrust that people have in the government right now. And so I think we're going to, I don't think these protests are going to go anywhere. I think that they will continue to build. And I think that we're going to see the narrative really shift away from, well, not away from, I think it will always carry BLM with it, but it's going to become so much bigger than BLM and BLM is just going to be the catalyst. And you know what? I really hope that the people that are coming out that aren't typical activists are coming out for the right reasons. And that's because they're against oppression. They're against, you know, everything that has happened throughout these 400 plus years. But, um, and not just coming out because it makes Donald Trump and his supporters look bad. I don't think so. I think people are genuinely angry. I think people are genuinely angry at the oppression that our black community has faced. I think people are genuine, genuinely angry that millions of Americans have lost their health insurance through this pandemic, that we're seeing economic recessions every 10 years. And that's what I think is fueling this is there's this national discontent and BLM mm. has brought that to the surface. And quarantine has given the people the free time to actually express their views, which I don't know if you remember uh, one of our courses at UNCA with Dr. Hoshka that spoke about the importance of free time and political engagement and how it changes Mm -hmm. regimes. Um, Mm -hmm. But that's what I think we're seeing. I think we're seeing people have more free time on their hands to understand what's going on and to actually kind of rise up and do something about it. And they're getting that courage to rise up from BLM. Hmm. So what I'm hearing is people were personally now, they feel personally affected now, you know, finally it's come to the, to the point that they are personally affected by all the issues that the minority populations have been affected for years and years and years. Exactly. Now everyone is affected and therefore it's everyone's fight. And which is great. Yeah. But at the same time, I'm like, well, shit, you know, like I know for, for a fact for my family, at least, and I know probably for yours, health insurance was all was always like a luxury. We've never, never really had stable yeah, I was health the insurance. I always had health insurance growing up. My mom worked for the government. Mm. So See? I never knew what it was like to not be able to go to the doctor until I was an adult. And when I became an adult, the ACA wasn't really a thing. So my coverage under my parents was cut off um, like my sophomore year of college or something like that. When, when, when I 
stepped away from my first round of college. Uh, there, no, mm-hmm. no health insurance for Jenny. So that's when I got a personal understanding of what it's been like to not have health insurance because I grew up with the luxury of no, I didn't have to worry about going to the doctor. If I was sick, I went. If I needed a, a prescription, mm-hmm. I, I got it filled. If I needed a surgery, we got it scheduled and it happened. And then since then, my, my personal health care coverage has been sporadic. And it's simply because I can't afford it. And see, and that's the thing, like, a lot of people following your situation now where they're finally feeling the effects of the economic oppression that has been happening in the United States for decades. But it has never really affected the majority of the population. No, because you know? we had a strong middle class, which right. we don't have anymore. No, no. And my parents were always self-employed since I can remember because that's the American dream in the mix in the Mexican, you know, culture to have your own, you know, little business or whatever. So therefore we never had, and we never had health insurance. And whenever my parents fell on tough economic times after the 2008 recession, I remember my mom finally walking into the Medicaid office with us and she was so nervous and she was like, had so much like, she was so not only was she shy but it felt literally i was i was a i was a little girl and i felt like we were taking away from the government like we didn't deserve this like oh my god like who's gonna think who's gonna and for the first time in about goodness my whole entire like childhood we were able to schedule a dentist appointment that's crazy. And it was crazy, you know? So that's what I hear now that you're saying. And it's kind of funny that you say it because I was always on the other, on the opposite end. And I figured that everyone was living like that, like how I was. And I thought everybody was living like me. <laughs> like, what do you mean? So I a dentist. Right? You know? So I definitely feel like you're completely right. This, this pandemic this, these racial relations that have been going on is like a perfect storm that BLM created because finally, finally, we are all feeling the same thing regardless of our skin. I I don't want to say the same exact thing, but we are always, we're feeling the same thing regardless of our skin color. We are all going Yes, you know, us minority populations, we have suffered it for more time and we have suffered it more deeply. But now we also see white Americans joining us because they're like, shit, I finally understand you. You know, for we the first time in my whole entire life, I have to get an important struggle. And yeah. 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 And I think. And that- what happened to George Floyd will go down in the history books as inadvertently uniting the American people. Yep. And I think that's why we're seeing the federal response that we're seeing, because I think they understand this too. Uh, It's bigger than Black Lives Matter. And- Oh, 100%. But it is so crucial that Black Lives Matter is at the center of this movement 
and is the spark that lit this fire in, in the people. And that has to always be honored, right? Because without their struggle, we wouldn't be experiencing the unity that we're experiencing now. And we owe a mm-hmm. great debt um, to the, I, I don't want to come off and saying this wrong, but we owe a great debt to the black community and their ability to uni- unify behind a cause and welcome white and brown brothers and sisters. And then just mm-hmm. as Martin Luther King did, realize that this is about color. It's also about class. And that's mm-hmm. the one thing, that's the string that really kind of unites us all. And so, mm-hmm. you know, and it's fitting that, again, this is happening when, you know, John Lewis passes away, somebody that marched with MLK, that fought with MLK, that was arrested and, and beaten for civil rights. And then when, went his entire life fighting to represent the people of his district uh, and his state and really the nation in general. But it's so fitting that this is all coming back together um, into the same kind of uh, package that we saw it come together in the 60s where it started as a race thing and it ended up being like, no, this this it goes beyond someone's skin color. Right. And, and not to say that we should become colorblind. No. Right? no not to no, say no. that and that's we why should be... Like BLM needs to be honored in, in their... Right, right. Their spark because they have... Fire. They, we have to remember that the black and brown community comes with hundreds of years of resilience, right? They didn't just say, oh man, this shit's too hard. Like, I'm just going to sit on sit down and just wait for it to change you know what i mean they didn't say oh i'm just gonna wait for there to be another president and see if he's any better than the last no they said no 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 this is changing because this is changing all right we've had enough yeah this is it like we've had enough you know one is one too many i am sick of your shit i am done with it because i don't want to be next period and you don't need any more explanation than that. Yeah. That's it. And that's you know? and, and for that. That's where the unity and, comes in. Among right. And f- exactly. And for that, we must respect them. For that, we must, like you said, we must honor them. And we must honor their sacrifice as well. Right? Because it, 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 this wouldn't have happened. And it's sad to say this wouldn't have happened without sacrifice. This wouldn't have happened without bloodshed. This wouldn't have happened. Nobody would have acknowledged it without it, you know? And I think Candace Owens said at one point, oh, George Floyd shouldn't be honored like a, like a martyr or stuff like that because he wasn't the great man that, we, that he should be. I'm sorry, but since when does a thought of someone forging a dollar bill a, a reason to die, a death sentence? Well, and also yeah. I think that by her calling him a martyr, it it under it undermines his death, right? Because a martyr is someone right. who dies voluntarily for a cause, and George Floyd's life was stripped from him. Um, oh yeah, you know, and so 
I think also remembering the tragedy that got us here, you know, it's, it's just so heavy. Um, and to see a nation really coming together to carry that and to carry the cause forward and to break down the racial barriers and, and to acknowledge each other's struggles and mm-hmm. to stand together and say that we will not tolerate oppression any longer. And I think economic oppression is part of that. I think, um, you know, social oppression is part of that. Police violence is part of that. So yeah, it's really interesting to see everybody coming together behind this. And it's gonna be interesting to see when November comes. I think I'm more interested to see, and I said this at the beginning of the episode, I think I'm more interested to see um, the the four years after Joe Biden. I'm interested to see you know? months after Joe Biden. Because oh, yeah. I, don't, I don't think that these marches are going to stop. And kicking out Trump will not stop them, right? The election of Joe Biden will not stop them. So how is he going to handle these? Because I have a feeling that he's going to handle them very similarly to Donald Trump. Yeah. I think I think that he's going to, probably not as bad as Donald Trump, but I think he's going to be on that line where he wants to show his force as a as the president of the United States and he wants everyone to see that and I would be really surprised if actual legislation would happen out of all this, which is crazy for me because like, all right, why can't we just have a consensus? You know, nobody should die at the hands of a police officer, right? And if someone does, there has to be an extensive investigation from a third party that is not affiliated with the police um, agency. And yeah, why can't we make that a law? Well, and the funny thing is, and and if that kind of happened in Asheville, right? So we saw the APD, uh, it made national news. They destroyed the medic's tent. They were stabbing bottles of water with a knife. They tear gassed all the medical supplies and food that the medics had had, you know, donated to them. And uh, uh-huh. the the ch- chief of police came out and gave a non-apology apology. And then they mm-hmm. hired mm-hmm. A, an independent investigator to come in and, you know, see what, see what took place. And of course, again, thank you, internet. We were able to Google this company. Mm-hmm. And... Mm-hmm. They are a public relations firm that specializes in social media and reputation management for law enforcement. This is not a third party independent agency. This is a PR firm. And people caught on to it real quick. And the city had to respond real quick because where's the, but again, it's, 
Exactly. And again, it's after something happens. Why can't we be proactive instead of reactive? And that's my question, right? To all legislators out there, if you guys are listening, why is it that if there's a demonstration outside of your office, right, you don't just get to work real quick? Why don't you just get to work and say, this is, hey, we have to do something. You see these people, they're upset. All right. And these are the people that I represent. So we need to, we're we obviously do? doing something wrong. Yeah, we're obviously doing something wrong or something is wrong. Yeah. We need to get working. What and can we open, do? A, open a channel of communication. Right. There's such a separation between elected officials and police departments and the people of their cities and states and country. Like there's such a disconnect. And again, it comes back to you want our vote. You want us to invest in you. You want us to give you power. Mm -hmm. But as soon as we give you that power, you act like we don't exist. Right. And problem. there's a problem there. Yeah. It's like, you know, it's like, and this is, this is something that I, we hold very personal, right? Because we've been on both sides of the aisle. We've been on the electorate side and we've been on the candidate side. And I know 100% that you have to try your best as one person to represent your whole district or your whole area. I get it. And I get that there's people with very different views and sometimes polar opposite views in your district. I get it. Um, and there has to be a, a, a way to come in, in between and be able to represent both, both views to the best of your ability. But if you are elected, right, I would at least expect you to come out and say, these are the people that I represent. Because there's people that, that vote against you. At least in our election, we got 33% of the vote. Those 33% of, of the people, I know that I owe my credibility to, right? I owe who I am to them, right? I owe them accountability over me and my job because they're the ones that put me in position, in the position that I'm in, right? So why is it that hard for our legislators to understand that? Like, if you won 70% of the vote, right, 70% of your, you owe your accountability and your job to 70% of the voters. Oh, I disagree with you there. I disagree. You owe it to 100% of the voters. Right, right. <laughs> but let's just, let's just say, let's just say we're talking conservatively here, right? And let's well, just say we're being like, egotistical. When you're, elected, when you're an elected official... Who voted for you doesn't matter, right? You, it's your obligation to represent all of the people of your district. And I think that's why they don't have channels of communication because it's difficult. And instead of bringing people from different sides of the aisle, one who voted for you and one who didn't vote for you, but have the same problems, bring right, them to right, your table right. and find yeah, a compromise. 100%. Mm -hmm. That's the way that I mean, work. that's the way we do it. Right. And I think we did it over, over uh, the whole entirety of the campaign. We did it and we brought even Republicans to your bar. 
right? Remember that couple that was like diehard Republican, like, and we're like, what the hell, what, what's the issue here? And it came out that they have the same issues as all of us. You know, the only reason that he's getting paid $20 an hour is because he's in a unionized job that was that collectively bargained and got them $20 an hour, you know, and, and you talk to them and you, and you get down realistically, you stop talking the political jargon and you get down realistically and you say, is it fair for you to work 40 hours a week and not have access to healthcare? Yeah. Is it fair for you to work 40 hours a week and not being able to, you know, maintain your household? And it came down to conversation. That's all. It came down to a simple conversation. And right. it, it wasn't, but then how hard is it to have that simple conversation with, I know it's not easy. I get it. I know it's not easy, but it comes back to being intentional about your position. Yes. If you're not intentional about actually being a congressman, congresswoman, house of representative, state representative, governor, whatever the hell, if you're not intentional, why are you running? Power. I'm sick and tired and of every problem. And that is the problem. And that's where I was going. I'm sick and tired of everyone running just to get their name on a paper and just to look nice in front of a camera. I hate it. I, I can't stand it because they aren't, you aren't being intentional. No. Like, you know, I hate to, I hate to bombard Madison Cawthorn, but it seems like that's what, that's all he's doing. I mean, if you go back on his, on his Instagram page, you know, he was, before he was getting, he was going to run, he went on different mission trips and, and he became a volunteer for this organization and for that and blah, blah, blah. You could tell that he, they were grooming him to become a congressman. And now he comes up and he's this congressman with just some empty, I was going to say stupid, but they're not really stupid. They're empty, empty talking points. They're just, they're, they're not full of, they're not full of any substance. So whenever you ask them exactly political and about policy issues, they're empty. Yeah. Why? Because he's not intentional. He doesn't care about his actual community. You know what's going to happen if he gets elected? I know you know what's going to happen. He's going to get up there and he's going to say, okay, well, I'll do whatever the party wants. Oh, and then I'll just go and explain yeah. it, explain it to them, however it is. It's not going to matter what his constituents want. You know, and, and I think we see that across the spectrum. Mm-hmm. We see, mm-hmm. again, candidates asking for voters to give them power and then abandoning the people that have put them in that position. And Mm -hmm. I think that's, what's going to change. I think that's the shift that we're going to see and we'll see what kind of accountability a Joe Biden administration has. I mean, the one good thing that he's done, and I say good in a very political sense is that he hasn't really made any promises. There's no policy change. There's no message of hope. And there's none of that. It, right. It's, a, it's very matter-of-factly. Right. And, you know, the one, the one sit-down roundtable round discussion, not roundtable, but with the one sit-down discussion that I saw was this commercial that was airing um, on Facebook through um, 
with President Barack Obama. And they were saying it was, a, it, it seemed like a very matter of fact conversation, you know, basically saying, hey, if this were to have happened within our administration, we would have never said, oh, it's not our fault. We would have taken ownership and said, this has to change, you know? Mm, maybe. But, um, you know, but that conversation, it's like a breath of fresh air because, you know, Barack Obama asked him, you know, what is your plan? There's so many people that are losing their small businesses. There's so many people that don't have a job. There's so many people that are ma barely making ends meet. What is your plan for everything? And Joe Biden put a, a, a layout plan. You know, we have to take care of these people. We have to do this and, and whatever. And it seemed pretty well thought out, which is another, which is a breath of fresh air compared to, oh, they just have to work harder. Yeah. You know, <laughs> with the what was that latest and I campaign think, from the White House, find a new job. Yes. Oh my no. Get get in get into a new thing or do a new find do a new thing. New. Find something new. Oh my gosh. I I, I was great like, idea, yeah. lady. Maybe in I can toughest for you. <laughs> right, right. In the toughest economic crisis that we have had to date. And you want me to find something new, Charles? Oh, wait, I can't make purses from you. Your purses are made in China. Oh, right. They're outsourced. Yeah. So, yeah. 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 Which brings us to yeah. the next topic. The next topic, which is um, concerning, but what isn't concerning nowadays so U.S.-China relations have reached kind of an all-time high here. We are seeing uh, consulates shut down in both countries. The Chinese consulate in Houston was forced to shutter. China retaliated and shut down the U.S. consulate, uh, one of the U.S. consulates in China. Um, our government uh, Mike Pompeo came out and said that the reason that we shuttered the consulate in Houston was because uh, they were stealing trade secrets, which is not something that is uncommon for uh, the Chinese government to be known to do. There have been battles for decades now uh, with them stealing the likes of, you know, intellectual property of Apple and uh, Samsung and just all kinds of, of global brands. Um, it was interesting, however, that when they told the consulate that it would be shuttered, that they started to burn documents. Uh, mm. And then there was recently a Chinese man who was arrested for, under the Espionage Act, he was giving state secrets to the Chinese government. Yeah. He actually mm -hmm. ran a political consulting firm, which is mm. terrifying to think because you're working with elected officials and departments and candidates, and you've got an insane amount of access to this kind of information mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and all the backroom talks. You know, when you're a political consultant or a political operative, 
you're in the back room, you're having these discussions about policy and, and where it's going to lead and trade agreements. And, and he was shifting that confidential. Yeah. And he was shifting that over to the Chinese government. Um, and he was arrested. He did it for, I think it was four years um, that they know he was shifting government secrets to the Chinese uh, government. So what's to make of this? Is this politically motivated by the Trump administration to distract us from his tanking poll numbers? Or is this out of legitimate concern for, you know, American corporations and national security? You know, I don't think we can ever actually know. I mean, it's a, I feel like the job of the president, it's so hard and you literally learn on the job, right? There's no like, there's no a manual that says this is how to be a president, right? But Donald Trump has definitely showed us how not to be a president. <laughs> That's the truth. Yeah. So, don't with do that being said, exactly. Whatever you do, just don't do what Donald Trump did. Do the exact opposite. Um, with that being said, though, I, I think this man is a con man. This man is a con artist. So... I wouldn't pa- I wouldn't have passed it by him for it to do a politic for for this shutting down to be politically motivated and him trying to see if this is going to help his poll numbers or his reelection. I wouldn't pass it by him. Like you know, I've ar- yeah. I can already see him doing that. Yeah. However, China is one of those countries that has so much power over us, but at the same time we kind of do too, right? And it's one of those countries where you can't just shut out, like Cuba, for example. Um, You can't just do that with China. You can't just like put it in the back burner and forget about it type of thing, you know? I honestly don't know. I don't, I don't know how we're going to, how we're going to go, how the coronavirus and its beginnings that happened, the coronavirus beginning in China has definitely created a very term, ter, 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 I can't Tumultuous. say the word, a ter, yeah, <laughs> relationship with them. <laughs> because you, I mean, if it was already, it was already bad to begin with, you know, it was already strained to begin with. And now we have the coronavirus that started there, right? And now we have this person that was actively giving trade secrets to China. And and now we have this consulate closing. And now we have the other consulate closing in in China. Like, where does it end? Is there an ending for it? Well, and that's one thing that I was reading in the reports is like, this keeps ramping up and escalating and... You know, out of one side of his mouth, Trump will say that we need better trade relations with China and he's buddying right. to uh, Xi Jinping. And then out, out of the other side of his mouth, he talks about how China has destroyed our economy and they've taken all of our jobs. And it's like, so with this with this escalating, with this these tensions escalating, like, What's the breaking point? I mean, and and one of the reports that I was reading talked about the possibility of a physical confrontation 
Like at what point do we get past economic sanctions and tit for tat as far as closing consulates and embassies? Like at what point does that tension break and there's a physical confrontation? And I think that's something that, you know, we should take into consideration because I think when, when you have somebody like Donald Trump who is desperate to stay in power, will kind of do anything to, you know, cling on to his power that he quickly sees slipping away from him with these poll numbers. And then we have somebody like China who, you know, has a short fuse, has a short fuse but economically we're so dependent on each other. We're dependent mm-hmm. on China for product. But China is dependent on us for our consumerism. Mm-hmm. So it's a two-way street there. And, and if those Mack trucks are coming at each other, at some point there's going to be a collision. And that's a scary thing to think about, right? Because like, just like China has a short fuse, Donald Trump has even a shorter one because of his ego. And we saw earlier, you know, last year um, about the assassination of the general. You know, he doesn't have, doesn't think twice about doing something at that grand scale. And I know for a couple of days, the world held their breath and was like, is this the beginning of World War Three? Because that's how World War Two started. Well, and, and recently they actually put out an arrest warrant for Donald Trump. Oh my God. Like <laughs> our president has an arrest warrant. Jesus. Like, can it get any worse? Yeah. Than- <laughs> you know, but you're right. Like it, it could take one wrong move. Right. One wrong move. And then we've got China involved. We've got North Korea involved. Russia. Oh, God. And involved. Like it would be a mess. Disastrous. It would be disastrous. And it would be, it would be everyone gunning for everyone and nobody is safe at that point. You know, where do we go? And do we have a safe leadership under Donald Trump? And I don't think so. I think that Donald Trump. Oh my God. (laughs) Donald Trump at the head of a world war. We would have the war in our backyards. Like we would, like we would, it would be right here, right here. And and he would probably be in his bunker hiding. <laughs> I mean, could you really imagine that, though? Like, I mean, he already claims to be a wartime president because of coronavirus, which, get off it. But could you imagine him actually being a wartime president and how disastrous that would be? Oh, my God. It would be, it wouldn't even be disastrous. I don't think there's a word that has been, it, it, it would... It, 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 it would be dangerous. It would be the world. It would be the apocalypse. It would be damn close. <laughs> yeah. Real damn close. <laughs> like, that's it. Like, yeah, no, please. <laughs> no, no, no. Let's not go oh, there. God, no, please not. No, let's yeah. not go there. No, because no. Because that would, no. No, that would be like my worst nightmares fulfilled. Um, I mean, I don't know. You know, with... It, to say anything, you know, if, if we're wrapping this up, you know, if, if the poll number says say anything, and if China says anything, is that I'm pretty freaking happy that Joe Biden is leading. Um, 
Will I be happy in four years if Joe Biden is leading against an incumbent like Bernie, against a challenger like Bernie Sanders? Probably not, you know? But for now, right now, I'm really happy that he's leading. And, I'm, and I feel hopeful for the future. Now, with that being said, we can't act like the, it's already won because we still have to go, go out and vote. That's the number one. If we don't go out and vote, the poll numbers mean nothing. And more important than the president is the Senate. Uh-huh. So go out and vote for Cal Talk about that. If you don't want to vote for <laughs> Joe Biden or Donald Trump, that's on you. But please vote in the Senate races, please. Yeah. Because 100%. Right now the only reason that Donald Trump has the leverage that he has is because of people like Mitch McConnell and the fact that the Republicans yeah. control the Senate. And yep. not only that, but if we do get a Joe Biden, you know, a, a Joe Biden administration and the Democrats oh. in the House and the Senate, we have the majority, then we will have leverage to push Joe Biden on the issues that he needs pushed on. And he'll have- And there'll the, be no excuse. And, and he'll also have the support on issues that he needs the support on. There won't mm -hmm. be, you know, a a, a fear of- okay, well, we've gotten a bill through the House, and if we can just get it to Joe Biden's desk, then it'll be good to go, but it's got to get through Mitch McConnell's Senate. Mm. So, no, more, and that's where, and that's where, yeah, yep, yeah, yep. Yeah. And, you know, because that's where our HEROES Act is at, right? It's still in the Senate. And it'll and, be in the uh, Senate act, until it's yeah. so watered down that it's useless. Yeah. So, you know, that's why... Yes, you're right. You're absolutely right. If, if you don't care about the presidential race, you know, goodness gracious, where have you been? Under a rock? Yeah, I mean, but, I'm not advocating for people to not vote for president. Uh, please. No. Please do. But let's just say, if you don't care about the presidential race, please, for the love of God, like the people that create our legislation is the House of Representatives and the Senate. You know, and the reason that we see so many things happening is like you said, you know, Donald Trump might be an empty shell, but he has pretty powerful people behind him that know exactly what they're doing. And one of those people is Mitch McConnell, Tom Tillis, you know, um, well, Mark, Mark Meadows, but he's no longer running for that seat. But still, he has this little proxy right there that looks at him like. <laughs> that, was, that was a great face. That's great. Like, that's literally how he was looking at them. Like, oh my God, I've been waiting for him my whole life. So, right. So he has this little proxy going in. So for goodness sakes, please look at these races. And more importantly, look at these local races as well. Because yeah. North Carolina is really, really lucky that we are, like, surrounded by horrible governors and leadership, you know, like, Kentucky so is Mitch McConnell. Let's be honest. I think we're no, no, no. Uh, even amongst Republicans and independents, I think he's going to do stellar. Hundred um, percent. But yeah, and also, if we take the Senate, you know, if we take the majority in the Senate, we can override Trump's vetoes. Mm -hmm. So there's so many mechanisms of leverage here that are vitally important. Um, and like we said last episode, voting is our mechanism of accountability. Right. 
And we got to hold these people accountable. Like we have to get out and vote. Like if we never went out and voted any other election, this is the election to do so. Do it. Yes. So this is the election show out. If you need information yeah. on getting a mail-in ballot, um, I'll post some links in the description of the YouTube video. Um, mm -hmm. And probably also probably on the, on the podcast, um, channels as well on Podbean and, and uh, Apple Podcasts and stuff like that. I'll, I'll try and get some information out there as to how you can register to vote and how you can get a absentee ballot. There have been numerous mm -hmm. states that have passed no excuse bills to where now you don't need an excuse to vote absentee. And they've also right. uh, gotten rid of the number of witnesses that you need uh, if I'm correct on that, they've lowered the amount of witnesses yeah. that you need to, to vote you just need one. And vote.org is a great place. It has like a one-stop shop for everything. It literally has registered to vote, request your absentee ballot, um, check your status of your registration, check your status of your ballot. It has all of those great tools. So we'll post that link below. Yeah, it'll be down well. in the description for sure. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So vote yes go out and vote and don't forget <laughs> yes and yeah we're gonna wrap it up this week thanks for tuning in and like comment yeah. subscribe share do all that fun stuff you can find us on facebook at exit poll left and we're also on twitter and we'll see you next week bye all right and if you guys want us to talk about anything drop it down oh, in the yeah, comments for sure. you know uh comments questions concerns we're open to all of them yeah bye, bye.